Hello and welcome to Open to Criticism, my podcast about how we talk about movies, who gets to do it and why it matters. I'm Wendy Lloyd. I've been a film critic for over 30 years and I've always been rather uncomfortable with how criticism skews heavily towards white men. Me Too and Time's Up has made challenging this imbalance more viable, and I recently completed a Master's in Cultural Inequalities where I researched how the lack of diversity in criticism is impacting how we perceive what happens on screen and the wider ramifications for society. This podcast explores these findings and reimagines what needs to change to keep criticism relevant for critics and film fans alike. My guest this week is film and TV critic, broadcaster and author, Hannah Flint. I I get bored of the kind of what's lost, what who loses out, who's losing out, all these people who've kind of had their own relative privilege of getting work. I have to think about what's gained. What is gained by having more voices? What's gained by having more directors? And I just think it's a better reflection of the world that we live in. Hannah's book, Strong Female Character, was published last year. And it's very different from your usual film reference book. Hannah tells her life story via a selected history of cinema. And as a female British Arab critic, it's a very particular perspective that challenges traditional white male value judgments of cinematic history. The book tells how Hannah never considered being a critic whilst growing up, despite film night and watching critics like Jonathan Ross and Barry Norman being a big part of family time which made me wonder if perhaps the lack of critics that looked like her had subtly communicated that it was not a career option she could realistically consider. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because maybe, I mean, subconsciously, you're probably thinking this isn't um, a job for you. But I think, you know, I do think it's part of it because, again, happy and authority on film, it was always presented to me mostly as men. Yeah. You know, even in, you know, in America, there was, of course, there's like Pauline Kale, but the kind of more prime time people were Rajiva and uh, Cisco. You know, my dad's had an Empire magazine since the first issue. And, you know, they have had a female editor before, before Terry White. But most of the bylines you really saw were were men as well. So, and again, you know, most of them was made by men. And, you know, I think it kind of consciously or subconsciously just didn't seem like a job that I could do. Um, being a you know showbiz red carpet reporter, yeah, because you know you used to have a lot more women on the red carpet or seen as entertainment journalists. You know what I mean? It's it felt like when it came to the analytical stuff, that was the remit for men. As my my tutor at uh, doing my masters said about entertainment journalists, like oh, it's the prof at the end of the news program. So. But it's interesting, isn't it, like you said there about how, um, yeah, because you did all the entertainment stuff first um, and that the perception that the others, you know, the analytical side, the critical side of it, the kind of, you know, the serious business of criticism. And it's almost like there has been this disconnect between the idea that criticism can be fun. And in fact, I began being a critic because I thought... I thought a lot of the male critics were being quite po-faced about films that I really liked. But it is, it's almost like this idea that to have authority, you shouldn't be having too much fun. Yes. Criticism can be quite um, intimidating. And so, but I've learned that the broader, broader I've read and understand the different mediums through which it can be presented and discussed means that I suppose everyone can find someone who they can relate to and, and kind of like and get their kind of tips from, I suppose. Or just, you know, even tips, because sometimes I think criticism doesn't always have to be about 
you need to go see this movie. You shouldn't go see this movie. Sometimes it's about, hey, this is what I took away from this movie. And then you're kind of like, that's also what I took away. That's so exciting. I feel seen. Or it's like, I never even noticed that. That's something I could open my eyes to it. So I think the idea that criticism is so attached to the commerce part of cinema, I, I slightly disagree with that, you know? I think it's more than that. It's more than, you know, whether you should buy a ticket or not. Yeah, definitely. And, and as you said, I mean, I think, I think it's really important that we don't apologise about the fact that it is something whereby you do learn on the job. Um, you know, you're forever going to be catching up with the films of the past. And I think that's okay. Yeah, I think, yeah. And I think it's also kind of, again, I had a foundational knowledge of film because it was such a big part of my family way of bonding, you know, and it's difficult because I, I think you, should, you can come in at any time. But I think it's just about there is nothing more annoying to me where people don't actually do the effort or, or show no interest in actually, you know, broadening their knowledge or looking outside the kind of very specific box of films they enjoy. Um, well, one thing you talk about, obviously, is about because you're talking about coming in and being a, a, a British Arab woman. Is that is that how you describe yourself? Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting with being Arab because Arab is, is kind of, it's Arab North Africa, right? So yeah. I consider myself North African Arab, but you know, it's kind of, it's all part of my identity. But yeah, British Arab North African. I'm an Arab girl. I'm Tunisian, you know. I am, you know, mixed. There's so many different ways to describe it, but I think all of these little bits make me the whole person that I am. Yeah, absolutely. And that obviously means that you are somebody who is um, reflects um, in a very positive way some of the changes that we're kind of finally seeing in criticism and a greater diversity of voices. Um, but as you point out, you know, that I was depressed to hear because I hadn't caught up with the latest stats on this, um, that the proportion of reviews written by women were documented as going down in 2022. And that's kind of depressing, isn't it? Because we are talking more about this kind of thing and, and recognise the inequalities and trying to do something about it. So the fact that the numbers are going down... Um, I mean, that's a bit depressing, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's it's a really difficult thing because relatively I'm doing pretty well as a, a film critic, I suppose. But actually I would say even say specifically a film critic because most of the work doesn't actually come from writing straight reviews. That's actually a very small part of it. You know, it's interesting. We've got Cannes Film Festival coming up and people are just like, oh, why aren't you? Oh, are you going to Cannes? And it's like, I've never been to Cannes. <laughs> and I suppose this, the issue is that is that Who's in the jobs? Who's got staff jobs? Mm. Look at the people in the... Look at... We just focus on the UK institutions. And don't get me wrong, they are far better at, you know, trying to get in new voices. But fundamentally, you look at the, the makeup of the editorial staff, majority male, mm. majority white, you know, and then they outsource their diversity. Yes. And then you've got even more voice. And, and I don't know, is, is it... And then the budgets have been slashed. So then suddenly no one's got, they haven't, can't afford to get freelancers to do it. So then they have to do it in-house. So I guess who's going to be writing the reviews? <laughs> Male film critics. Yeah. And then, you know, with, with something like Cannes, fundamentally you can't afford it because, you know, who staff members get to go there. I don't have, or at least I, when I was coming up, I didn't have a disposable income to be able to afford to get to places like Cannes, like places like TIFF or, you know, manage to do a stipend. But now I'm doing a bit better. I just don't want to spend my own money on going somewhere to do my job um, when I don't even know if I can actually get accreditation or I'll get reviews placed. I don't want to lose money doing what I'm doing at this point in my career. So it's, it's difficult because I can understand why people want to go there. Um, but it also, again, it creates this who gets to go. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, and then we broaden that out because, again, it's not just male, female. It's like I'm lucky enough that I, I live in London. And when I was first doing my gap year, working at different places, my mum had a flat that I could stay in. 
you know, people who live in London, they have a basic. If you're out in the regions, <laughs> it's not as easy to even get to screenings or even start getting a job, you know, to be able to cover stuff because you just don't have that connection to London where you can like, oh, go see this movie on a Thursday, you know, afternoon. So that part of it, you know, there's all these intersection of it and it's it's kind of sad and I, I don't really know what to do other than PRs and uh, editorial staffs and editors need to be more proactive. But again, you know, there's so few jobs out there. <laughs> he, you, until someone dies or moves on. <laughs> <laughs> it is very much that, isn't it? I mean, yeah. and I think what you're saying is, is really important that, you know, film goers and, and people who read reviews, they know that, you know, they bear it in mind that when they're reading reviews from festival coverage, the likelihood is, as you're saying, it's going to be a lot of staff writers and those staff writers continue to be in the UK white men. So they are going to potentially be getting a far narrower voice on those film festivals. Yeah. And, you know, you've put it really well about how monetarily and otherwise in terms of privilege and opportunities and being able to be in London, this really does make a big difference. Um, I mean, let's talk about, you know, you getting and, and your commissions. And I, I've talked to other critics about this who are experiencing a similar thing now. There is, as you put it, the kind of outsourcing of diversity coverage and hiring and that you get asked to review non-white films and stories, but not ones that are actually aligned with your MENA ethnicity. Um, I mean, you know, and as you kind of point out, it's, it's kind of a bit ba- embarrassing, really, isn't it, that commissioners aren't kind of clear about this at this stage? Age. It's interesting because since writing it, I have had actually with Empire magazine, uh, I've written two reviews, um, maybe because some of the staff members have read the book and spoke to me about it. <laughs> but I said, hey, uh, so thank you, reviews editor at uh, Empire. Uh, I got to write, you know, a review for Satar and then Harker. And the New Arab has been really good but for obvious reasons. Yeah, <laughs> that's why <what> I wrote <laughs> for them. But, you know, even things where it comes to th- what I find interesting is like, Something like a movie like Black Adam or Dune, they're basically traversing Middle East and North African territory. And yet, when it's most people who are from that background, and it's not just me, you know, obviously, I've, I feel like, I don't know, I think it's fair to say at this point, I might be the most prominent female, I don't know, Arab critic in the UK, or not even the most, one of the up top, top ones. Um, and, you know, if I'm not getting asked, I don't see why, you know, I shouldn't be asked to review Dune. Or doing two. So and then I end up doing it for the New Arab. And not that I don't want to do it there, but it's kind of like, where does it get into the mainstream? Yeah. And it's, if you know, again, if it was a black film, you they will make sure that a black person reviews it, you know? Or if it's an East Asian or even sometimes South Asian, I feel like they make, there's a, more of a conscious effort. And again, it's kind of like cue. It feels like there's this cue. Like right. one at a time we get representation right. But it, yeah, it's, it's, it's really frustrating, I suppose. And it's not saying I only want to review that. I should be able to review everything, basically. Um, and if you think I'm good enough to re- review Good Luck to you, Leo Grandi or The Northman, you know, which I have done, it's like <laughs> I should be able to, you know, review Dune. But I suppose some people think um, maybe uh, I'll be too political in my criticism. But then again, you know, that can be quite um, reductive. And also, and as you know, Wendy, when you have an outlet, you, you you cater your review to the outlet. So, you know, the Dune, the review of Dune that I would wrote for the New Arab probably wouldn't be something I would write for, I don't know, 
Empire or, you know, Time or Metro. Out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 it is like... But it's interesting you mentioned there about the reviewing because you also talk about, and I think this is really interesting in line with, you know, commissioners, as you said, it's it's slightly improved, but, um, you know, commissioning you to do things that actually aren't a lot, you know, kind of going, oh, I'll do something here that's to do with ethnicity and diversity and whatever, and then not actually aligning it with, you know, your own um, background. But, you, you know, as you pointed out, and you mentioned Dune there, you know, those films are not also, they're also not casting yeah. genuine. Um, you know, they've got Javier Bardem and Zendaya and, and you've got Dwayne Johnson and you talk about that. And that's, I think that's a really important point about how there is this blindness to Mina and um, Arab casting on screen, isn't there? Yeah. And I do, and, you know, I do think it part of it is I think there's an, especially in Hollywood, I think so much about what's going on geopolitically. Um, basically affects what's happened the conversations is with studios and execs yeah you know example of like how Mina Masood oh they made Dynasty made such an effort to cast him as um Aladdin but also where's his work afterwards yeah where's where's his movies he was great in Aladdin I just think there's this Arab anti-Arab sentiment anti-Malise and it's weird because um the, the the actors are there it's just that people always make excuses I was talking to actually there's this actual this actor who I know an act of colour, I wouldn't name them, but they DM'd me last night and they said to me, and they were like, oh, God, I saw the Dune trailer and, and thought of you. It's like white actor after white actor. And as I kind of say in my book and even in my review that, you know, um, Frank Herbert and Dune, you can see it's much, very much influenced by even Hal Dune, which he was like a Tunisian philosopher who wrote this book called The Macademia, which is about civilizations, Arab civilizations. So it's like the Bedouins, which are basically the Fremen. And then like the kind of more, the emperor, the the, the kind of may, may built up stuff and the kind of clashes between those worlds and how civilizations work in the Arab world. And it's like, this is a, this is basically Dune. But mm. apparently, once, it's the same way that Star Wars yeah. kind of loves to, it's as what Bob Sagan said, it was like, why does everyone look like me? He said that in an interview back in the 70s. And he was like, why is it this is galaxy far, far away? You can do whatever you want. And yet they look like me. <laughs> well, exactly. Um, and it's all desert lands. And, you know, it's well, like, yeah. oh, hang on. And I went to literally last year after I wrote the book, I went to Tunisia and went to Mos Espa. And I'm like, no white people could survive <laughs> in this heat. No, Obi-Wan Kenobi would be like, no, no. <laughs> uh, but that's another thing, you know, it gets erased because, you know, Tatooine is named for a city in Tunisia called Tatooine. Like he wrote, George Lucas wrote it there. And I think it really frustrates me how much as it goes along, especially with sci-fi, which is supposed to be the most political place, like where you can talk about things. It just gets stripped mm. from the origins that it's in. And it's like, this could be an amazing opportunity to put people and, and introduce people to other actors. And it's not like there aren't well-known kind of, you know, look at someone like um, um, Marlon Kanzari, right? He, but he's, a, he's amazing. He saw him in The, um, the Old Guard. Um, he played Jafar in Aladdin, which was, uh, but he was great in the old garden. He's a great actor. And I've seen the other stuff and it's like, oh God, he would have been great. He could have been a do. He could have, he could have been Javier Bardem's character. Yeah. It's just, it's just frustrating really. And it's always after the fact, you know, that's why I get bored of. It's like, well, how much you respond to things afterwards rather than any change been made beforehand, you know? Absolutely. It's one of these things that if you've got voices like yours calling it out and these conversations that I know that you've had online with other critics and MENA critics, it's part of hopefully changing things. Are you optimistic that that can be the case? Because I think once, certainly for me, once it's pointing out to me, I'm kind of like, uh, yeah, that's that's not good enough, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I suppose I'm skeptically optimistic. I just find that, um, you know, everything is so slow. It's just everything just has to drag at a snail's place. Sometimes it's a bit of one step forwards, two steps back. Although they did cast um, a Tunisian actress in um, in Doom Part 2, uh, Suhaila Yafoub. So uh, possibly <laughs> some progress. She's, let's just say she's not on her name's not on the poster. Um, and she, uh, the character she's playing has a very small role in the book. <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think it's what I've come to learn, though, actually, Wendy, is that I feel like I look outside of Western cinema, really. Um, it's hard because, you know, I am diaspora, but like, you know, or, or look at places like, you know, France has got far bigger, well, because of colonialism, <laughs> because of French <laughs> yeah. colonized a lot of North Africa. But there are far more films that have Middle East and North African representation. You know, and I, you know, it makes me good, feel good that, you know, shows like Rami exist and Rami Youssef or Shuin Darbis, you know, who, who's direct, who was the first, you know, person in American woman to be nominated for, or even an Arab woman to be nominated for Best Director at the Emmys because she directed Honey Murders in the Building. Um, you've got Kauta Ben Hania, who, you know, Beauty and the Dog's amazing, The Man Who Saw the Skin, and then she's now doing her next, um, film that's going to be showed at Cannes this year. It's hard to, sometimes it's really hard when it comes to places like Saudi Arabia, where, you know, Haifa Halman saw one of the, you know, one of the, you know, best first film film to be directed by a woman, like, and and from the Arab world, but also the first Saudi film shot there that was out that got outside. And then you have, you know, the the leader, the government, the kind of absolute atrocities of that government, yeah. human rights violations. But then you have something like the Red Sea Film Festival. You know, I think the first year I was invited to go is all expenses paid, and you're kind of like, I'd love to go and get some coverage of all these like you know, Arab filmmakers and stuff that's doing there, but you're like, ooh, though, on the Saudi's dime. I don't <laughs> I don't know. And it's like, I feel, and I've got a British Saudi actress friend of mine who, you know, I always message her. I was like, what do you think? You know, I have a, you know, kind of a WhatsApp group and with Arab, you know, people across, not just here, like the US and just kind of getting a, you know, guide on what's, what we should do and what we shouldn't do. But it's really difficult because I feel like there's a scrutiny on the Arab world. Mm. Um, that uh, means that we're not just like the lines, but we can be erased and forgotten. So it's yeah, so it's, it's a difficult situation. But back to what you were asking me, um, <laughs> I'm hopefully optimistic. I just you know I think we just need more people who aren't Arab to join the join the kind of conversation. Yes, yeah, I think that's like any of these things, isn't it? it? You can't just be saying it, and especially if it's into an, an echo chamber or potentially one. So yeah, I do get that. I mean, another thing that you, you talk about in the book um, was the whole thing to do with Ava DuVernay and A Wrinkle in Time and all the stuff that kicked off around that and about how it's really important that critics from any ma- marginalised group, when critiquing a film made by that same group, shouldn't feel pressured to champion those films. Mm. Because that's the other side of it, isn't it? Is that if you're wanting to champion, it's two different things, isn't it? Championing opportunity um, and then being able to have a, you know, a proper critical analysis of the product of that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I think, so it was Brie Larson who was responding to Ava DuVernay. And and you know what? Good for Brie Larson. She's been through a lot. People yeah. are horrible to her. You know, you know, she's a very good example of how you know, Captain Marvel and stuff being reviewed bombed by absolute toxic misogynist incels online. Uh, they can't stand the idea of a female superhero yeah. uh, who doesn't look like Wonder Woman or kind of runs around with her. As I got told off for saying on GMB with her tits out. A really great friend of mine, Candice Frederick, she's a critic and reporter. She's a senior uh, culture reporter at Half Post. 
you know, she's talked about that, about like, it's not my job as a critic. Like, of course we want to see more films, but it's not our job to give this like a, you know, yeah. a race star. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I do feel a bit like, oh, should I be a bit nicer, a bit kinder? And it's like, well, actually, no, because it's, you know, it's... Mm. I have to be honest, I think it tarnishes your credibility as a reviewer. Yeah, but it's hard because as we know, you know, especially when it comes to the gendered side of things, male filmmakers who make put out a film are far more likely to get commissioned to do a second one than female filmmakers who have probably had a film that was far better received. So it, that pressure is there also, isn't it, in terms of you want to help these filmmakers move forward, but you can't do it at the expense of your own authority and and, and being respected. Yeah. And it's interesting. I kind of, it's so interesting when I think about um, how I joke saying, oh, you know what true equality is, is that a black filmmaker can make a terrible film and then get the next one. Like that yeah. is, you can be a mediocre. People don't talk about it in public, but there is this big thing. It's like, oh, it's really hard to be like a white critic or a white actor, a white director and I, like right now. Like mostly oh, men. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's also like, no, it's just really hard to be a mediocre white critic <laughs> or a mediocre white director or a mediocre white actor because now there's actual competition yeah now there's actually like i won't say it would be a meritocracy because there are ridiculous things variables that go into who gets cast and who gets their film made and blah 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 and again like i'm middle class i have privilege now i'm not going to negate all the hard work i've done but certainly that my parents were able to help me go to like university when I had that gap year before I did my master's, I rented my master's, but like I had a bit of time. I could stay in my mum's flat to do work placements. I had that mm. privilege. And like, what's going to happen if people can't afford to do it or we don't give opportunities? It's only going to be those people who are going to be able to make films or write about films or do all these type of things to it. And then we just don't get the broad perspectives and we just get boring stories and stories that don't actually truly reflect the communities that they're based on. Because that's another problem, isn't it? It's like absolutely the misrepresentation because. You know, I don't, you know, people should be able to write about anything. But, you know, some people don't have the capabilities. That's the thing. You can write about it. You might not be very good at it. <laughs> well, that's an interesting point, isn't it? Is this this whole thing of, you know, if we're saying, as you were pointing out earlier, you know, um, we want the validation for the fact that we have these different perspectives, unique perspectives, um, you know, we bring this different experience. But I think that does throw into question, it's something that's come up a bit in, in, in the course of doing this podcast is, then where do you go with the whole everyone can write about everything because that's been the white male position. Obviously, traditionally, they have been almost all of the critics from since the dawn of time. And that's kind of been their argument. Um, as we mix it up a bit, we're sort of saying, well, no, because other people, you know, can see things that you can't see. They understand things that you don't understand. They perceive things that you won't perceive. So where do you, I wonder where you think, especially, and I ask you this because of reading your book and understanding how much you've thought about this and researched a lot of stuff to do with this. You know, where do you fit on that whole thing of critics? We really can critique anything. Yeah, I think they can critique But again, it's just whether you have the empathy, the understanding to actually experience outside of your own comfort zone. Because that's another thing. It's like you don't mm. you don't critique in a vacuum. You're bringing all of your experiences and lived, you know, traumas, happiness, things that you relate to. What was I watching the other day? And I was like, um, oh, Return to Soul. Uh, I watched that and I was like, the whole, there's a whole narrative where she kind of, does she want to meet her biological father or not? 
And I was like, oh, I connect to this so much. And I recognize all the emotion, the kind of mixed feelings about her. And it's like, maybe you don't have to go through that. But it certainly felt this like, it felt I could talk about this in a way that another critic might not. Mm. And I think this is what, I suppose my point is this. The more diversity of critics we have, the more people who come from it in a different perspective or way, the better it is. Because again, it's all subjective, right? <laughs> It's, you know, I can think something's the best film in the world. Someone might say it's absolute shit. And sometimes I always think like, find people either who, you know, they review and things, you have similar opinions on the films and then find people who might have a difference of opinion so you can learn about more stuff. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a hard question, a big question, Wendy. But it's, <laughs> I suppose it's just, I think the ratio should be less between white male and everyone else. Yeah. We need to make it more balanced. We need to close that, that gap. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, what annoys me is about the framing. I, I get bored of the kind of what's lost, what who loses out, who's losing out. All these people who've kind of had their own relative privilege of getting work. Yeah, and the thing about what's gained, what is gained by having more voices, what's gained by having more directors, and I just think it's a better re- reflection of the world that we live in because that's the point, isn't it? Cinema is a reflection of the world. Um, But so far, it's been pretty distorted to one perspective. Indeed. And obviously, not only is it a reflection of it, but it helps construct it. And I really like the way you weave throughout the whole um, book. Films can reflect things going on. You know, and for women, it would you know things like you know fatism and slut shaming and all that kind of thing. But ultimately, if filmmakers don't even in the smallest way, challenge that reflection. In some way, do something that isn't just kind of saying, and that's okay, let's let's carry on and reinforce that message. That's a kind of important part of both filmmaking and us critiquing, isn't it? Because there is a, both a reflection and a construction thing happening with films on screen. Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've normalised so much when it comes to, I suppose, rape culture, um, body image, you know, race and kind of, you know, this is why there's so many things, like even body hair, like it's wild to me that Wonder Woman, you know, has like shaved armpits and no hair. It's like you're in a female utopia. Why don't you have body hair? Yeah. yeah like I, I, there was a funny, there's a funny like kind of skit where it's like, um, like a dystopian news of women. It's like, where did you find a rusty nail from when you're trying to survive the apocalypse? Like shave your armpits. But there we go. Um, you know, even something so little like, you know, there's that moment at Birds of Prey where Claire needs a hairband. She can't do her hairs in the way. And then, like, Harley Quinn gives her a hairband. I was like, that's one of the best representation of, like, <laughs> doing things on screen. Because, like, women just have their hair floating around, faffing in their face. It's like, I used to play basketball. You would never play with your hair down. Yeah, this is, again, why I think cinema is so important. Because, you know, as you, it reflects, but it also informs. You don't watch Fatal Attraction this weekend. Oh, yeah. And, um, and you know, because there's a new TV series coming, coming out. So I thought, oh, I'll give it a rewatch. Yes. And, and you watch it, you're just like, oh, God. And in the and you get it, why the feminists were kind of right. Oh, even not beyond the feminists. Well, you know, it's hard saying the feminists, but like why feminist people were rightly kind of criticised in the movie. Yeah. Because as much as, you know, again, what they're trying to say, the bunny boiler thing, like these get normalised. And again, what, what do audiences take away? Not trying to you know, belittle the audience, uh, audience members. But there is like immediate illiteracy where people walking away from this, some people aren't looking at the nuances or aren't able to reflect the nuances of certain situations. And they'll just take stuff at face value. You know, as you know, I do a chapter on Arabs, like bombers, belly dancers and billionaires, which yeah. is basically the three tropes that happen. People get racially profiled because of how many times 
Arab men or Middle Eastern men or South Asian as well, like are just typecast as as terrorists, right? Yeah. And then you get a real world face and that informs it. It's just not every film needs to be, you know, a political uh, comment. But I feel like politics is in everything and that includes the moving image. Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? And as you mentioned there, you know, the whole thing, the bunny boiler thing, is it's not just that that was constructed um, in the film. The problem is that we live in a society that is forever going to, the media is forever going to pounce on things to do with women, to do with ethnic minorities, to do with, um, you know, other marginalised group and you know, just will basically highlight them in a way that they wouldn't do that about some particular behaviour or characterisation of of a white male character. But that makes it hard as a filmmaker, doesn't it? Because potentially in this day and age, you, you're forever checking yourself and going, oh my God, yeah. is this going to turn into the next bunny boiler trope? You know, how do I talk about this woman who's got this particular out there behaviour, shall we say, yeah, without doing yeah. it in a way that's going to be just whittled down to a really offensive stereotype and trope for the future. Because this is the thing. I, again, we can look at so like look at that film, understand what's great about it, but also understand, oh, this is an interesting discourse conversation, and that's why I also find what critical analysis is about. You can love things, but also be kind of see the problematic nature of it and discuss it, and hopefully. You know, it's not about attacking the filmmakers or saying they've done it wrong, but just like looking at, yeah, what's the influence? You know, I really recently did, um, well, recently I did a piece on Lady Macbeth as a misunderstood villain. And so often like Lady Macbeth is used to any woman who's next to a man in power. Yeah. You know, Hillary Clinton, um, Carrie Simmons, you know, again, she was called Lady Macbeth yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, and even, and it's insane because Lady Macbeth, that play should be called The Tragedy of the Macbeths it shouldn't be just about him because actually it's tragic her life as well what goes on in that but again the way we just pick out things and just you know <laughs> uh, I remember when I wrote that piece people were like no she's a villain yeah. she killed baby blah blah it's like okay alright I think Shakespeare is one of the greatest people out, like <laughs> writers in the world I think there's a little bit more to it that again because of the patriarchal society and the way we see it it could be I, I actually find that Shakespeare is far more feminist oh probably wouldn't obviously use that word but like <laughs> I think his comments on gender is actually far more interesting and more uh, progressing than as it's been seen in the 400 years since mm. as like taken on so yeah it's a tough one but I'm also kind of like I appreciate people take swings and then maybe get it wrong but also or not even get it wrong maybe are willing to take part in the discussion, you know? Because mm. who, who, again, I sometimes, you know, even writing this book, <laughs> it's interesting for me to be on the side of, oh, now people can review it and critique it myself. And, yeah. you know, I've, you know, to my <laughs> chagrin, like I probably shouldn't do it, but, you know, I go on Goodreads. So I'm like, oh, what are people saying? And, and it's been really nice. It's mostly been great, actually. Yeah. I haven't got loads of three stars, which is kind of cool. But, um, you know, a few of the three stars, you kind of read it and you're like, what it was like it's maybe too forensic and I was like oh so there's too much information okay yeah that's not I'll take it yeah, that'll do that'll do <laughs> yeah yeah I was going to ask you in terms of you know being a critic and putting a book out there that's going to be you know critiqued and get responses how's it been and has it been like you might have anticipated um I don't yeah it's weird I don't think it was anything like I anticipated I um I was very nervous about Again, it's the imposter thing and like, you know, bringing all the anxiety that comes into it of, God, I've got to have this like whole range and this breadth of like um, references and stuff. But I realized like I can't possibly 
reference every movie in the world, though I do try. (laughs) (laughs) You've got a lot in there. There's about 700 films. Um, That's pretty good, yeah. But then my editor, they said, you're not writing it for critics, you're writing it for everyone else. And, and And that's what I suppose is the kind of thing, because it, you know, the critics don't really need to read this book. Maybe some of them. Specific. I won't yeah, name names. I think some do. <laughs> some do. I learned but, a lot. Um, oh, well, appreciate it. But I suppose it's kind of, yeah, I wanted to have a more broader appeal. There is a lot of pressure on that. But, you know, we, reading things like Helen O'Hara's um, Women versus Hollywood was like really interesting to me. I was like, oh, this is, it's really accessible. Yeah. And again, I was trying to like, I don't want to be too academic. Like I wanted it to be as like, as if you're having a conversation with me. Yeah. And I think that's one one of the nicest takeaways. And again, it's this hard thing as well when you're kind of like, I don't know, I've never read a book before, so I don't know how it's supposed to sell. So when <laughs> my my biggest pet peeve at the moment is when people say, how's the book doing? It's like, I don't know. Yeah, it's done, it's, I, it's out done. there. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the thing. I'm trying to really get to a point and it kind of comes into that, you know, the intersectional social media, like validation and all this. And it's like, the success is that I wrote a book. Anything else is just a bonus. Yeah. So it's really been nice to have a pretty much mostly positive reaction um, to it. One of the nicest things I will say that was really was really sweet was um, my mum, someone um, contacted her to do an International Women's Day thing and it's a woman who works at a college and she said, I, I was reading Strong Female Character, I didn't realise it's your daughter's book, but I ordered a couple of copies for the college and that was like, for me, that's like the success, right? It's, yeah. it's the idea that, um, you know, again, if it can just be like one person, I'm not, you know, I didn't, I'm not going to be like Roxanne Gay here or I'm, <laughs> that was so bad, but you know what I mean? I'm not a celebrity writer. I think most critics know this, you write books as a kind of part of the work and hopefully you might get more work from it. (laughs) Yes, you don't think of it in terms of topping the bestseller list, but you never know. You never know. There's so much I could talk to you about this book, but um, I think it's a nice place to round it up is um, I love the way you very succinctly put it. There is no objectivity in the arts, only a diversity of subjectivity. And we talked, of course, already about subjectivity. And for me, you know, that really kind of sums up what pretty much most critics um, might some of them reluctantly admit. So I just wonder, because I did have conversations and interviews with certain white male critics who put it quite plainly to me that it's wrong to bring our identity and its related politics into our critique because they want to hang on to the detached enlightenment kind of aesthetic of, of criticism. So what would you say to white male critics who say we should not be bringing our identity into our work? <laughs> chuckle but, um, <laughs> um, it's very easy for white male critics to say that when they are the norm yeah uh, who are the factory settings basically yeah of criticism the idea that they think that they don't bring that into their criticism is uh, misguided yeah <laughs> because again as I said we don't view art we don't perceive it we don't write it in a vacuum everything that we've ever been through is brought is is colors our experience and colors our appreciation of art colors our criticism of art um they might not think it does because they're never other they're never the other yeah so you know i i disrespect i disrespectfully disagree Hannah Flint, arguing how all critics bring their identity and experience into their criticism, even if they think they don't. 
Many thanks again to Hannah. Do check out her book, Strong Female Character. And you can hear more from Hannah on the Fade to Black podcast and check out her website, flintonfilm.com, for more on her many critic projects. Next week, we discuss the huge growth in Arab, Asian and North African filmmaking and how it's challenging Western cultural assumptions, including those concerning censorship, with critic and producer Kaleem Aftab. Censorship has existed everywhere. We still have censorship in the UK. I mean, just the other day, to give an example, uh, Arab filmmaker came up to me and said, oh, I've shot a scene that involves a sheep that's being killed in an Islamic way. Do you think that will play well in the West? And I was like, I don't think so. And that's where there's like, for him, that's censorship against his culture. That's it for this week. Many thanks for listening. And if you're enjoying the podcast, do please rate, review and tell others, be it online or in person. Every recommendation really does count. Open to Criticism is written, produced and presented by me, Wendy Lloyd, with original music by Hamish Clark. Until next time. 